Good evening, everyone. I'm missing Lynn, (laughs) who's the uh, manager usually on Thursday night and makes announcements. So so I guess I'll introduce myself again for those of you who may not have been here this past month. I've been here on Thursdays and talking about the paramis or wholesome qualities of being of mind and heart that we really discover more deeply in our meditation practice. I'm Carolyn Dilly. And um, were there any announcements? I think this is the time for announcements. Okay. So we've come to the, um, the kind of the end of this series, which which I've talked about six of the paramis um, and we'll talk about the last one and some related ones this evening and how they work together again, touch on that. We began with, um, we've sort of been following the classical way, although I've related them sometimes a little differently, beginning with generosity and then morality um, and then patience and energy and last week we talked quite a bit about meditation and energy and tonight um, we come to what's kind of the final one in this first series of six Uh, it's it's the culmination in a way because it's considered to hold all of all of the others in it and that's wisdom so wisdom it's a big word. It's a huge word. I, I think it has as much baggage as enlightenment does as a word. You know, it just, you know, it sounds good. Wisdom. I'd, uh, that sounds very good. I'd like to tune into that. So, but I think because it's such a big word, um, it, it's, it's vague in a way. So it, it has it's good that it's big it, it allows us i think to see that there's a big picture but sometimes that big picture isn't so sharply focused um, but that's not the case with the kind of wisdom we're talking about tonight in fact it's 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 characterized by focus this kind of wisdom of course there are many kinds of wisdom in the way that we commonly use the word and i just I'll just touch on a few of them. I won't mention them all, but just to set a little bit of a scene about what we'll be talking about, there's worldly wisdom. It's kind of that savviness, you know, that we uh, are kind of wise in the ways of the world and we're not easily hoodwinked or, you know, people don't take advantage of us and we kind of can see it coming and... Um, and that doesn't mean that we're uh, that kind of wisdom is is a good wisdom. I think it, we can be um, we can be trusting of people, and we can be we can be open-hearted and still have that kind of worldly wisdom, and not just be naive and kind of run over. In fact, it's very hard to live in the world if you don't have some of that kind of wisdom. As artists write about that um, um, Dostoevsky's story of the idiot Prince Mishkin who didn't have any of that kind of wisdom or Candide which was was very painful to live in the world unless you have some of that Um, the Buddha seemed to have some of that in the stories that I've read of his life he he didn't let people run over him he he knew what was going on in this worldly way then there's kind of a, a natural or native wisdom that, that we all have as human beings and that's often called the wisdom of the elders because we tend to mature into that. Of course, we can, we can see that at different, you know, in very young people and even children. And, but, that's, but it's generally more associated with an accumulation of what we've learned, what we've learned in life. Uh, so we've, we've learned to be, we've learned from our experiences how things work and how we sh- we should um, how we should be kind of at ease in the world, uh, and, and I think that's a natural process of wisdom, but it has more the connotations of a kind of a learning, an accumulation, 
And what we're exploring tonight, wisdom, in the sense that it's talked about in the Buddhist um, scriptures and world, is called prajna in in, uh, Sanskrit or panya in the Pali. Um, And this is sometimes translated as wisdom beyond wisdom or the great wisdom. So this, in a way... Um, it, it, it informs all these other kinds of wisdoms, but it is a deeper kind of a wisdom, we could say, or another kind of a wisdom, something that holds all of the wisdoms. And so more specifically, and as a definition and clearly, it's, it's the wisdom of seeing what are the foundational truths of human life. And in Buddhism, of course, those are the four noble truths, um, the truth of suffering and the causes of suffering and the end of suffering and then the way that we can cultivate to, to help ourselves see the end of suffering. And also, it's the wisdom of seeing these subtler truths that are not so easy to see, the truth of flow and impermanence and no fixed self, that we don't have, even though we have a self, of course, in a, in a relative and way, we, we exist in the world, but we don't exist in any absolute sense. Um, and this wisdom, panya, prajna, is also in a way that we can understand intellectually and from our hearts, it's the wisdom of living according to our experience of these truths and our seeing them and taking them in ourselves. And uh, that said, it's, it's not easy to see these truths. Famously, the Buddha said, you know, they're not, they're not easy to see. And also, it's not easy to take them in and, and live from them, in a way. I think it's, we just have to realize that. And this is from every report of every Buddha that I've read about, and every Bodhisattva and every ordinary meditator uh, attests to this, reports to this, that it's, um, to see this kind of wisdom isn't the easiest thing. But nonetheless, it, it is possible. And, and it's a good thing, therefore, a big help to us, that, um, that the open-heartedness of compassion always goes with wisdom in the Buddhist way of looking at things. Wisdom and compassion are always inextricably entwined. And that... Compassion is kind of an acceptance of ourselves and of others and of life itself. And wisdom and compassion are said to engender one another and to nourish one another. To their, They keep feeding one another. They're uh, springs that flow up together. So compassion is this great... Uh, it's almost like the other side of the coin of wisdom. They're so, they're so closely allied. They're so closely um, tied together. And they function in the paramis, wisdom and compassion, in, in all the wholesome qualities that we've been discussing. They function in generosity, in we give and receive, and in morality, in the non-harming. When, when we... When we see how things are, we naturally, the heart comes up from compassion that we don't want to harm ourselves or others. And in patience and forbearance with what's true and what's happening even when it's difficult. Um, And in energy, the, the openness to seeing the truth of suffering and learning from it, having the energy to do it, it takes take some energy. Um, and then in meditation, which is a kind of wisdom and compassion, I think show themselves in, in this kind of honoring uh, 
our capacity to see clearly, honoring, saying, I, I'll do this. I will sit down and bring myself to this place of quiet and see this story of life unfolding in my life. And wisdom and compassion together are actually seeing clearly and not grasping. It's kind of an ability to let go without any regrets. And it's also the quality of, of opening and seeing past what seem like the contradictions and the paradoxes, the dualities. You know, and this is kind of abstract language, but wisdom is something that lives in every moment in each of us. And it's our life circumstances, our situations in every moment that wisdom is revealed in, that to ourselves. And we ourselves only can experience our wisdom. We, in every situation in our lives, and and especially where it's not so easy, um, but once we get over that initial reluctance to face the difficult things and, and see them clearly uh, without trying to push them away or hang on to them, um, we can see that, that how, how that works in our lives, that, that wisdom is not something outside of us, but that actually we can see how to act wisely. Compassion is considered the sort of the the active function of wisdom. Sometimes it's phrased that way. Um, When we see clearly, then we know how to act clearly. We see those, that, that space where we can not act in old reactive manners. We see even what we've done. Um, And we can feel, we can feel some remorse for it perhaps sometimes and shed some tears over it even, but but we can have a sense of not regretting it. Regretting is kind of holding on to it still. There's an, there's an ancient and lovely metaphor for wisdom and compassion in Buddhism. You may know this. It's the great wings of wisdom and compassion for the Dharma, like a bird. And, and like a bird doesn't fly, or doesn't fly very well without two wings, these, these qualities are considered, you know, to balance one another. And if we get a little off balance in one, and we're seeing really clearly, but we don't feel that compat, you know, that we don't feel that, that, um, that open-heartedness arise for ourselves, and that ease of, dis- of knowing where to act and how to act and what kind of action to take, then we kind of can feel ourselves flapping around a little bit. And likewise, if we're just just acting in kind of, uh, as one of my teachers calls it, idiot compassion, just which is really not compassion, but a kind of, um, kind of masquerade of compassion, kind of sentimental um, pity in a way, and we can see that wing kind of flopping around. Another kind of set of terms that's used to describe wisdom and compassion in in Buddhism is discernment and action. So in the lineage of this meditation center, insight meditation, which is the Theravada way of the elders, uh, this is often expressed as skillful means, that we have both the wisdom, uh, sampajana, seeing clearly the wisdom, and also acting on that and knowing how to act on that. And it's kind of knowing without an intellectual analysis, so it, it's consi- very natural, and, and we can feel this operating in ourselves too. Um, it's not that, that we can't use intellectual analysis, and sometimes we do need to do that, but... Um, and it's not exactly an intuition either, although that can be valuable to us. It's, it's an experience we can have, though, of knowing that we're seeing clearly and moving in that moment to address and be with that situation. Um, the Bhikkhu Bodhi has a translation that uh, I've made some use for in, in, in choosing the terms to describe this in, in a more, in from the 
more classical Buddhist teachings. And it's a treatise that he's translated, the treatise of the Paramis. And he, he says in there, in brief, the destruction of self-love and the development of love for others are the means for accomplishing the paramis. So it's not, it's not that we uh, don't cherish ourselves. In fact, we come to cherish ourselves more um, in a certain way. But it's that we don't elevate ourselves above others. That's what he means by self-love, the destruction of self-love this elevation of ourselves above others, this setting ourselves apart in a certain part of us that says, oh, I'm, oh, yeah, I just got that a little better. You know, it's that little, it's subtle, as I said, wisdom, panya, this kind of wisdom. But when we tune in through meditation, uh, then we're able to see that and act from that. In Zen and Tibetan practices, which are the Mahayana branch of branches of Buddhism, this is kind of symbolized wisdom, wisdom and compassion as the way of the Bodhisattva, who's the being who's dedicated her or his life to helping others, and not not only helping others in a worldly sense, but that too, and you know the, the natural kindness of human nature in that way, but also helping others to realize the truth of boundless freedom, the truth of, of the Four Noble Truths, of liberation, freedom, and the way to freedom. So meditation, which we discussed uh, sometime, uh, some length last week, is, is kind of the gateway that we go through to see and know for ourselves this wisdom and this compassion. Through meditation, we cultivate the ground of wisdom. Bhikkhu Bodhi says this is the, uh, the, the soil. The paramis are the soil of, of wisdom. And I, uh, the ground of wisdom, that, that phrase... It makes me think of making compost. Uh, the wisdom is, uh, the, the meditation is just throwing all our garbage on the pile. And the pile is the wisdom. It's, all, it's got all the elements to, um, to transform what's garbage into what's nourishing. And we have to do certain things. But, you know, you don't even have to turn the compost pile. And those, in my experience, are the best compost piles, actually. But, but you do have to keep the compost pile fed with garbage, and, uh, which, that's our meditation practice. That comes up all the time. And watered, you have to keep it wet. So you have to keep the, the temperature kind of right. That's the kind of energy, that's where the energy parami, the vigor parami that we talked about comes in. Patience, you know, compost doesn't get made overnight. Regardless, many years ago when I had moved back from the country where I had just a wonderful compost pile that did its own thing and all the conditions were really right for perfect compost in this place. And then I moved to a small suburban house and, and I didn't have much space and, and the soil was awful and I wanted to do it in a hurry. So I bought one of those you know, ones that you crank and that it said compost in three weeks. And I don't know, it didn't work for me. Now, it must work for somebody because <laughs> they advertise it, right? And, but um, patience, patience makes good compost and good wisdom. Achan Cha, who's uh, one of the, you know, the, the Thai meditation Master, very beloved in this tradition, has taught, uh, taught a lot of people uh, that are Westerners who are connected with Spirit Rock, like Jack Cornfield. Uh, he, he mentions that in relation to meditation and wisdom, that connection that he says that our strong mindfulness allows us to let go of subtle grasping so we can feel the peace of prajna, of the wisdom that's always there. 
There are some other lovely, the other main nice metaphor connected with wisdom and analogy is that of light. So wisdom has a lot of, in Buddhism, a lot of terms of light, clarity. A very famous one is Wei Neng, who is the, uh, the sixth Zen ancestor who lived in the seventh century in China. And one of the early Bodhidharma brought, the Indian monk brought the teachings of the Buddha to China from India in the sixth century. So he was one of the early ones, Wei Neng. And, uh, he has the, he was the one who has this famous uh, metaphor that meditation's the lamp and wisdom's the light. So you you can't have one without the other. And again, if you don't have the condition of the lamp, you can't you can't light anything. Um, so wisdom lights up all the wholesome qualities, and it's it's characterized by clarity, uh, by non-confusion, by seeing the contradictions of our lives as a whole so that they're in such light that they don't appear as obstructions and cut us off from ourselves and from others. In a way, it's seeing the light behind the dark is how I envision it, Um, which can also be the light at the end of the tunnel. It looks like that sometimes too, but... It's seeing that there is that light. The Dalai Lama says, um, the absolute nature of wisdom that is established by listening, reflecting, and meditating is something we can experience. So... This is a very important point that we, again, that we are the ones who experience this. Um, there's um, there's a, a, a simple way of putting this in, in kind of modern poetic language from the American poet Muriel Rukeyser that I like very much. our own connection to wisdom. She says, trust in experience and in the rhythms, the deep rhythms of your experience. Trusting in one's own experience. And how these qualities of wisdom and compassion work again Together, I mean, there are many ways that this is talked about in great length, actually, in the Buddhist texts. Um, but I just wanted to highlight one, which is from the Diamond Sutra, which is one of the central Mahayana texts. Short, it's only about 20 page, 25, 30 pages. Um, but it says how it gives a lovely way of how these qualities kind of work in the quality of wisdom particularly and um, generosity and patience work so that we can see what, where our obstructions are and what's causing us um, any unease or sense that we're not free. So in the Diamond Sutra it said that these three qualities that we've been exploring counteract the, the root unwholesome qualities. Um, I mentioned those, you know, or maybe I didn't mention them now, I can't recall. Um, not at least tonight, but I'll mention them now. So generosity counteracts greed or grasping, that root unwholesome quality that, uh, that we can see in ourselves. And patience or forbearance counteracts anger or ill will um, so those it's a counterbalance it counteracts that and wisdom counteracts delusion or our confusion um, our doubts so again from Wei Neng um, 
he gave a famous talk on wisdom and he made many metaphors about it and observations. And I just wanted to quote one. And before each one, it goes on for, you know, 20 or 30 of these. And before each one, he says, good friends. And I always just like the simplicity of that repetition. Good friends. Our inherent nature contains all things. This is greatness. If you see everyone's good and bad and do not grasp or reject any of it and remain free of emotional entanglements, this is greatness. Coming and going freely, the substance of mind without blockage, this is prajna. This is wisdom. So notice that he says, you see everyone's, including yourself, of course, everyone's good and bad, but you don't grasp or reject any of it. We don't have to not see, we must see. It's not about denial. It's about not grasping or rejecting and remaining free of emotional entanglements, not remaining free of emotions, letting the emotions flow freely, just not getting knotted up in them. This is greatness. So Bodhidharma again, said, very pithy, wisdom is not knowing. (laughs) There we go. Um, (laughs) That's the funny thing about this. Um, So I'd I'd like to end tonight before I give you all a chance. uh, Reading... uh, Cheshla Milosh from his book Facing the River. He's the uh, um, the Nobel laureate, um, the Polish Nobel laureate, who's lived in the United States in Berkeley, actually, at, teaching at UC for very many years. Um, and I'd like to read his poem, One More Contradiction. It's a sonnet. One more contradiction. Did I fulfill what I had to here on earth? I was a guest in a house under white clouds where rivers flow and grasses renew themselves. So what if I were called, if I was hardly aware? The next time, early, I would search for wisdom. I would not pretend I could be just like others. Only evil and suffering come from that. Renouncing, I would choose the fate of obedience. I would suppress my wolf's eye and greedy throat. A resident of some cloister floating in the air with a view on the cities glowing below or onto a stream, a bridge, and old cedars, I would give myself to one task only, which then, however, could not be accomplished. The next time early, I would search for wisdom. So thank you very much for your attention. And um, perhaps you have something to say. I hope so. Or something to ask?
Yes. I would like to give it a home. Thank you. One more contradiction. Did I fulfill what I had to here on earth? I was a guest in a house under white clouds where rivers flow and grasses renew themselves. So what if I were called, if I was hardly aware? The next time early I would search for wisdom, I would not pretend I could be just like others. Only evil and suffering come from that. Renouncing, I would choose the fate of obedience. I would suppress my wolf's eye and greedy throat. A resident of some cloister floating in the air with a view on the cities glowing below or onto a stream, a bridge, and old cedars. I would give myself to one task only, which then, however, could not be accomplished. He turns it around on himself and on us and to makes a hole in that poem. So, too, the quality of delusion. If one just looks in their body, they feel when the others are acting. But one can be very deluded, and it feels like wisdom. I mean, perhaps the greatest. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful, Lewis. Thank you. Just put your finger right on it. <laughs> uh, no, brought up a lot of very interesting, uh, a lot of very interesting points about this. And um, first of all, that you that you almost quoted, and I, I don't know if you did this deliberately. What um, what Dogen says? Uh, um, Buddhas think. Uh, Buddhas who are Buddhas don't think they're enlightened. Enlightened. Buddhas who are not Buddhas believe they're enlightened. So he's t- 
talking about that kind of in um, in the uh, Genjo Koan. You know, so uh, he's he's talking about what you said that delusion is something that that's uh, it's tricky. I mean, wisdom is tricky. It's not easy <laughs> to see these things. They're subtle. The other thing that that you you pointed to is very interesting, and I think this is. Um, my perspective, I think that it's, um, and my experience, that it's that we often shade over in in vipassana meditation to to believing somehow that there are always direct correlatives in the body, and and I don't think that that's always true. I think that there are that often the more subtle qualities are that we can sense them in our minds in a certain way, and the way that the way that it's wisdom is described and that you know I felt at certain times of, of this quality of clarity and, and also a clarity I mean in everyday life it doesn't have to be that you're you know in a meditation posture or on a meditation retreat it's, it's a kind of a clarity and a kind of an ease of knowing that where you are and grounded and yet able to act which is why I talked about the Wisdom and compassion being the uh, discernment and action, or two sides of that coin. So it's that. So it's partly that we don't have a, a, a precise language for this. It's very interesting. I think I, I read about. I read in the field of consciousness research and all of that because I just find it so interesting. And neurologists and consciousness researchers are starting to develop even a, a, a language about this, Westerners. Um, but, but we don't have a language to describe these subtler states. Buddhism does in, in some regards. Um, in some texts like the Vishuddhimagga, the meditation manual, big meditation manual, the... Um, describes these states and I think the Abhidharma which I'm not really well versed in but but that also describes some of these states but there's a sense of lightness in the mind and so the, the, the analogy of light and the metaphor of light actually kind of works that way that we could well, people say this even a light went off in my I mean, it's not like that but it's uh, it's not so it's an aha moment I think of when, when people describe, you know, they had this intuition or insight. Scientists do. Einstein famously had a bunch of aha moments about important things. Um, I always think that it's, it's more energetic and a little and excited. Whereas when, when the clarity of wisdom is kind of even, it's, it's like this, the sun shining in a way. You just hope this has been helpful but I don't think it's that you necessarily have to feel a direct body sensation even even with the others even with any uh, of the paramis thank you so much Yeah, I think there is a kind of an evenness and and, and a balance. I, I guess in, in Buddhist terms, it's it's usually called equanimity. So it's it's an evenness or or a balanced, or another way to describe that. Another language is acceptance, which is it's more that that one accepts what is, and that is a kind of wisdom. So in that sense, it is kind of what what I can remember of Stoic and the Stoic philosophers uh, writing about. I'm not sure sure if in English Stoic is necessarily a positive. 
Yeah, I, I think actually in, in American culture, my sense too is, and your name is? Vasu. Vasu. My sense too is that it's, it's not considered so wonderful, but, but I don't know, maybe it, maybe it is. Uh, certainly that what I know of the Sto- Stoic is, is like Marcus Aurelius and, and the philosopher, you know, the ancient Western philosophers who, who um, it, has, it has kind of a little bit of a, of a warrior, uh, you know, tough stance. And I mean, I guess that could be appealing, but, but anyway, in Buddhism, pardon? <laughs> Maybe kind of a, but in in Buddhism, um, wisdom has this. In a way, it's more it's more engaged than Stoicism too, which has the connotation of withdrawal in a way or distancing oneself, standing back. Whereas wisdom is part and parcel of compassion. So once we see, once we see the truth of how things are in the sense of, you know, what you, with the human condition, really, um, and the possibility of freedom, then the, our natural willingness and ability to engage starts to flow uh, more easily too. And as I said, I don't know enough about stoicism, but I wouldn't say it's, I would say equanimity would be more like a word. At at the same time, from what I've heard you say, it sounds as if wisdom and seeing things clearly are really one and the same. The, The clarity of Understanding how things are is almost what wisdom is. It's not something necessarily that we garner for ourselves. It's it's just that moment of of perceiving clearly. Yeah. We can't become wise. We can be wise in a moment. We can't you know stockpile wisdom. It's, it's yeah. not something we have. It's something that is a clear perception of the way the world is. Oh, thank you, Richard. That's very yes. That's what. That's an excellent way to put it. I think that's um, different from that stockpiling wisdom is kind of our native human wisdom, the wisdom of the elder, what we accumulate, what we, we, we can stockpile that from our experiences. So that was, I hope, clear because as, as, as I was reflecting on this, there's, we have to use, you know, the words, and I thought, I hope I'm going to be clear about using experience because we do experience it, but it's not like an experience that we can hang on to and hold on to. But we have, it is, as you say, it's that in that moment, seeing that whole picture and seeing it, and but with our total body, that's in a way where it, so the mind and body come together and, and we have a sense of it in our body, but it's not that we can necessarily say, oh, a light went off in my mind or something like that. Which is often, of course, how people think about enlightenment too, that some discrete, you know, experience happens that the light goes off in your mind and then... My kids remind me all the time because when I'm I'm trying to say wise things, they say, Dad, you're just saying wise things. Don't say this. Don't say this. Little reality checkers, huh? (laughs) They have the wisdom to see, but only they can find their wisdom. I think I have a question, but I don't know what it is. But it's my observation. They have lived very complex, engaged lives, almost like they've been running 100 miles an hour for 30 years and then have managed to pull it all together. And I've been asking myself in my own life, 
when I stop, when I should slow down asking so many questions and seeking so much so I can actually come to a sense of clarity. Mm -hmm. So I wonder, for those who are wise, or that I've regarded as wise, when did they able to slow down their minds so they actually could find clarity? Yeah, I don't... Um, well, it's... It, your, your question is, um, or your, your comment points to really how difficult it is to talk about wisdom. You know, because just being up here and talking about wisdom, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> delusion, <laughs> delusion could arise. Uh, but it's, so in other words, that's kind of trying to get out that I'm, uh, I'm not going to put myself in that, you know, I don't know about how, you, how the people that you've observed are. And I can only just speak from my experience of the, um, of the, the concrete sense that I experiences that I've had of knowing when things are clear and when I could act in a way that was in accord with non-harming, that wasn't putting myself above others, that some of the things that I mentioned tonight, right? So those things. Um, and that has come through meditation. Meditation is the gateway. So, so for some, for me, and, and it's said, of course, in Buddhist mythology, there are all kinds of stories in Buddhist stories. There are all kinds of stories about people who were um, self Enlightened or self-wise, and they, you know, um, so so maybe, you know, it's very interesting what you raise, and maybe um, maybe I would need to know more. You know, is it the actions of the people that you consider wise, or 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 their their way of their presence, their way of being in in the world, or the way they Oh, I think it's a, an ability to process in a very calm manner. Okay. From an enormous knowledge base. Okay. That I just, you know, I could listen forever because the, their presence is illuminated by mm. um, so much experience, which, you know, most of the people I'm talking about are 40 years older than I. Right. So, yeah. That accumulation of life experience that I think elevates someone to be able to see clearly with with a, a diverse knowledge base of comprehending situations. In. Um In, in the Buddhist tradition, it is this, this kind of wisdom, the wisdom beyond wisdom, is very much tied, with, tied into um, to acting and knowing, but also specifically the, uh, those foundational truths of human existence, which are the Four Noble Truths. So knowing for oneself one's own experience, however that comes to, to a person. And for many people, it is the path of meditation. Um, for other people, it might be other things. But knowing for oneself that there's not a fixed self, seeing some dissolving, knowing for oneself that some dissolution around that notion of a fixed self. You know, it's a lot of whole... It's, it's feeling for oneself that... Uh, that relaxation, that dissolution, that dissolving of fixed ideas um, and concepts. Of course, in, in the Zen tradition, um, there's the, uh, the, the, great, uh, the, the, um, the Sutra of the Great Way, 
which is the great way. It begins, it goes on for pages. Uh, the great way is easy for those who do not choose uh, for or against. Or another translation, or the great way is easy for those who set aside their preferences. So once again, that's really like, well, there's a, <laughs> there's an idea. <laughs> How are we going to do that and live in the world? You know, we have to make choices all the time. But it's that not holding on to it. It's, it's that not getting entangled up in it and identifying, which happens very quickly and at a subtle level. And so that's why meditation is such a powerful access uh, or broad gateway because w- w- once one once you commit yourself to to doing it to practicing it you know then it it starts to to happen for most people but then it's very uh of course each individual is different and that will that's something we don't have a lot of control over it seems you know like when things happen and but keeping on at the dalai lama says you know I think I quoted him before in this series. He says something like, um, well, I think I quoted him in patience. Well, you know, he rubs his hands, Dalai Lama-like. <laughs> he says, well, just if we just work hard for 30 or 40 years, we'll see some results. <laughs> Which is kind of what you said, too. And, of course, he has been working hard. He's been working hard since he was five years old or four years old or something, and he's 67 or something now, and he, and he meditates. He, he leads this incredible life, just like you're describing of someone. He's someone I definitely would consider wise in this wisdom beyond wisdom way, and he travels all around the world and does all kinds of political things and science things. He does these mind and life institute things, and, um, and he gets up in the morning and meditates every day, you know wherever he is and he does his Tibetan things which I don't know too much about and so I hope that gave you some words (laughs) thank you thank you so we have a couple of minutes we could Sit quietly.